Good morning. Well, it is so good to be here. Thank you for coming out. You know, have you ever gone on a trip, camping or uh, vacation? You know, you go away, you have a great time, um, just have a blast. But it's after being gone two or three weeks, it's it's nice to come home, isn't it? You come come back into your own house, you open that door, it smells like your home. You're sleeping in your own bed, your own couch. You know, it's just... It's nice to come home, even though you've had a great time. And that's how we feel about this church body. It's like, it's like coming home. This is what we are comfortable with. This is what we know. This is who we've done life with for 20 years or nearly. So it's like, oh, you know what I mean? It's awesome. So I just wanted to let you know that. So the pastors wanted us to share a little bit about what we're doing. And then I don't want to talk anymore about us. Because the Lord's more interesting. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, because I see some new faces out here, um, Catherine and I, my name's Mark Rittersbach, my wife is Catherine, I have two adult children, Michaela and Colton. Um, we had have had the privilege uh, of serving here in this church body for, uh, in some capacity or another, in many different roles and capacities, but we've had the privilege of serving here since the fall of 1997 when Pastor Bill asked us to come on and be a missionary, their missionary. So it's been a joy to, to fellowship and serve alongside of you. We've done many crazy things together. And so that's uh, us. We've been away for the last year um, getting some retooling with uh, Ethnos 360, formerly New Tribes Mission. It was New Tribes Mission for 75 years. The mission is still the same. They've just simply changed the name for various reasons, and I can get into that later with you. But um, the heart is still the same, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to where Christ has not yet been named. Every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnic group, to have an opportunity to hear. So um, we finished with New Tribes, or Ethnos 360. So we finished up. We are officially... Ethnos 360 years, that doesn't flow off as nice as new tribers, but we're officially members of the mission again, and we are currently in full-time deputation. They call it partnership development. That's a fancy word for deputation. It's where we're now trusting the Lord um, that he will raise up within this body, this area, as we travel, Kansas, Texas, Florida, Michigan, Jersey, all over as we travel, that God would raise up a team of people to partner with us in prayer, encouragement, finances, as we, as we take this venture to do tribal church planning in Papua, Indonesia. So that's currently what we're, what we're doing. We are here through the summer. We would love to spend time with you. Our summer schedule is getting filled very fast. We'll be heading back uh, to Michigan in August with the kids. Um, and while they're there for their school year, their eight or their nine or ten months, we will also be there uh, traveling and, and basing out of there for the next. We'll probably make a trip here and many trips all over. So please be praying. A lot to do. We're trusting the Lord that he will get us to Papua, Indonesia, roughly around August of 2018. That's our tentative date. We're holding that loosely. But anyway, thank you for those of you who are partnering with us in prayer and finances, thank you. If others are interested in knowing more about what we're doing, we can talk about it later. So enough about us, let's talk about the Lord. Um, But before we do that, we'll have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are worthy to be worshipped. You are um, 
trustworthy, Father. You are good. We can trust you. Lord, I pray that this morning would be uh, much about you, bringing you honor and glory. Um, pray that you would use the, the message today to encourage hearts as it has encouraged my heart, Father, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in your bulletin, <clears throat> normally I have a lot, for those of you who know me, I usually have a lot of scripture in my message. Um, and that will be the case today, not as much as in the past. And I usually take the full 60 minutes, but I'm going to actually try to get you out early today. Isn't that wonderful? So anyway, I have put, I've asked Bev to put the scripture on the bulletin so that if it, at any time, because I usually move quickly, if at any time you feel like you missed something, you can just flip it over and find it. It's in there. I want you guys to have access to that. So later when you're looking, I want you to see what scripture I'm using and and you guys can study it out for yourself, right? Don't believe it because I said it. Believe it because you've studied the Word of God and it said it. The Word of God said it, okay? All right, so let's get started. Flip this thing over. Okay, the title of my message today is Courage Through Trusting. In other words, having courage through trusting in Him who is trustworthy, right? I'm talking about trusting in a good and trustworthy Heavenly Father. We live in a broken world full of pain, right? Hardship, anxiety, difficulties, stress coming in on every side. Job 5.7 nailed it when it said, Man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. As sure as I'm standing here, life is hard. There are no lack of circumstances that cause us to lose heart. Whether it be failing health, which has happened much in this church, the loss of loved ones and the heartache that that brings, a wayward or rebellious child, a difficult and unfulfilled marriage, the loss of a job, the anxiety of an uncertain future, you name it. Through li- It's quite impossible to go through life without experiencing times when our situations seem overwhelming. They seem impossible to bear. It's like we're saying, Lord, no, I can't handle this, not even a minute longer. When all we're wanting to do is head for the exit. That's what we're looking at. Oh, Lord, I want the exit. Have you been there? I want the exit, God. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. If you're not there or you haven't been there, trust me, in your life you will be there. As I think of the ministry that Catherine and I, the Lord is allowing us to be a part of, tribal church planning in a different country, in a different culture, in a different language, everything unfamiliar, everything uncomfortable, not our mother tongue, not being with you. It's comfortable, it's enjoyable to minister here with you. When I... Just, we've just been studying about the realities of what it's going to take to plan a mature church in a tribal setting. And I cannot help but feel the full weight of my not-enoughness, if you know what I mean. Not enough. And I know we're partnering with people, which is great. We're, there's a team working at it. But it's overwhelming, the things that we're going to be up against. Will we fail? Will we survive the strain and pressure on our marriage and in our daily lives? Will we have the health and the stamina to minister? How about, can we learn two new languages? That's what we're going to have to do. I'm 45. It's hard enough for me to speak English, let alone learn two new languages. You know. So, um, what about our family? Our children that we leave behind? Our family, our parents? What about our church family? Those, you guys that we've done life with, right? It's not easy. To leave you behind. So, will we be killed? That's a very real thing now in mission. 
Yet the scripture says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, right? Just commit these things to the Lord in prayer and He's got it and there'll be peace, right? It's easy to read that verse. It's hard to live it. 2 Timothy 1, 7, fear. It says, uh, we have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, fear, worry, anxiety, that comes natural for us. It is a result of the fall in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve went and hid. They were afraid. It's natural. Our natural tendency is to be afraid, to take the path of least resistance, to shrink from doing what is hard or what is difficult or what is painful or unpopular. That's our natural tendency. I'm not saying we always do it, but that's our natural tendency. It's our nature as fallen humans. But courage, on the other hand, is not natural. It is supernatural and it is to be cultivated. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be exercised. So what do I mean when I say courage? Our culture today would define courage as being true to yourself. Uninhibited self-expression, just be you. That's not what I'm talking about. That's good. I mean, not to say that, that as a believer, we should be secure in our identity in who? In Christ. And we should be okay with that and secure in that. But that's not the kind of courage I'm talking about. Tim Elmore, who wrote The IY Generation, and if you work with young people, you should read this book because it's good. Tim Elmore wrote, Courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. It is the willingness to confront fear, pain, danger, uncertainness, or intimidation. He said, when we develop courage, it enables us to take the appropriate risks, to take initiative, to act. In short, to be decision makers and responsibility takers. So courage is not the absence of fear, right? It's not being fearless, right? Fear is a very real thing or the scripture wouldn't address it over 500 times. It addresses it. So it's a very real thing. I like what John Wayne said. I know I'm quoting John Wayne from the pulpit. Is that sacrilegious? But He said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. And that's so true. You see, courage, a courageous person is someone who is afraid, but yet still able to do the right thing. So if courage is not natural and it needs to be cultivated, how do we do that? For the believer, I think, I believe, this is me, you can have a different perspective. I believe cultivating courage comes back to trust. Who do we trust in? What is the character and track record of the one we are trusting in? Isaiah 26.3 says, You, God, saying there, God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in Him. Psalms 91, 1 and 2 says, Peace comes from trusting in God and dwelling in the shelter of the Most High and in the shadow of the Almighty. So courage is not found in self-expression or in self-confidence. It is not found in self at all. I believe courage is found in a trust relationship with a good and loving Heavenly Father. It is found through wholehearted surrender, resting all of our weight and hope in Him. Like our famous verse here, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We just sang that song this morning and it was perfect for the message. Everything hinges on Christ in us. All the promises of God. All the power and authority we need hinges on Christ in us. All through Scripture, there is a buffet set before us of the effects of God's goodness toward us in Christ. We are forgiven, strengthened by His Spirit, granted wisdom and sonship and hope. We are provided for according to His riches and glory. We are promised certainty of eternity and purpose and destiny. 
This list goes on and on, so much so that Paul said, in being overwhelmed with it all, Paul says this in Romans 8, 31 and 32, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who then can be against us? If He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. The list goes on and on and I'm just going to keep giving them to you. Galatians 2.20 I'll, sh- I'll shorten it. Having been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I that live but Christ within me. Right? Isn't that what Galatians 2.20 says? It's Christ living His life through me. John 15.5 I am the vine, ye are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing apart from Christ. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I love this little verse. I just found this yesterday actually. And I was like, Lord, that is so awesome. I gotta stick it in the message at the last minute. So it's Second Corinthians 1.20. This is a nugget. You, you, can, you can miss it. It says, for all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him are amen to the glory of God. Okay, so let me put that in a different way. In Christ are all the promises of God. And our confidence and trust must be in all that God Himself in Christ will be for us in the next moment, in the next month, in the next year, and in the endless ages of eternity. The endless ages to come. Everything hinges on Christ. Such a cool verse. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God. Okay, you see, courage comes from a proper perspective, right? That's where our courage comes from. It's from right thinking, a proper perspective. We are not enough. We do not have to be enough. We just have to know and trust the One who is enough. And when we do that, Okay, when we do that, let me find my place because I'm lost. Oh yeah, here we go. When we do this, He gets the glory through mightily working in the weak and faint-hearted. Me. I'm the weak and faint-hearted. I I like the exit. I'm shooting for it all the time. But yet, God says, no, I want you to tarry. Tarry long in this hardship. Trust me. Trust me. And God gets the glory. Because it's not what I'm bringing to the table. It's what he's bringing to the table. Alright, so, if trust, if, if courage comes through trust, okay, if courage comes through trust, then I want to look at some attitudes that characterize the lives of those in the scriptures that boldly trusted. So let's look at some of the attitudes that characterize the lives of those in the scripture that boldly trusted. Okay, so there'll be four. Now, trust me, there's way more, but I, I'm just looking at four today. By f- point number one, now we're actually getting to the message. Point number one, by faith or trusting, and I'm using faith and trust because they're synonymous. Faith and trust are synonymous. By faith, they chose to submit. That, ooh, we don't like that word, do we? Submit. Ooh. By faith, they chose to submit. David is a great example of one who completely trusted in the sovereign hand of God in spite of his circumstances. David was hunted. He was hounded by his enemies, right? Repeatedly, his whole life. Even though God had promised him a future of leadership, He had promised him the throne, right? He was the elected king, but Saul was still on the throne. But did 
But he did not speculate. He did not strive. He did not manipulate or try to help God out. He did not lift up a hand against Saul. Remember what happened with Abraham when he tried to help God out with the son of promise? Or how about Moses when he tried to help God out with delivering the people? Whenever we try to help God out, it always goes, doesn't it? David didn't. David's attitude was one of praise and confidence in the Lord. Psalms 4.3 says, I know the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Psalms 4.8 In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And I love this one, Psalms 131, 1 and 2. I was reading this a month ago in my studies. I was just studying for my quiet time. This was awesome. David, like a little babe, committed himself to the care of a good and trustworthy God. Says, Lord, my heart is not proud. Okay, now you got to understand at this time he was going through some stuff. People were misjudging him and accusing him of all kind of things. And he says, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my, my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. He says, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul before thee like a weaned child resting within his mother's arms. My soul is like a weaned and quieted child within me. That's an amplified version, but it's saying the same thing. <clears throat> Basically, what he is saying here is I am purposefully, purposefully, composed and quieted before thee, free from striving and discontent. There are those who strive and there are those who thrive. And there is a vast difference. Strivers, it's all about this. Thrivers, it's all about this. The point is, David did not always understand why, but he trusted in the character of God and accepted from the hand of the Lord what was given him. God's character is good and he can be trusted. I love what A.W. Tozer says. Oh, this is so good. He says, uh, okay, let me find it. Oh, there it is. Okay, he says, Faith enters when there is no supporting evidence to corroborate God's words of promise. Okay, faith enters when there is no supporting evidence to corroborate God's word of promise. And we must put our confidence blindly in the character of the one who made the promise. We must put our confidence blindly... Um, in the character of the one who made the promise. And let me tell you what, his character is without blemish. It's good. I love this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme example of this right here. You'll see what I mean in a minute. This kind of faith that asks no proof was lived out by our Lord Jesus Christ when he endured the agony of the cross. He lived this out. Though rejected and abandoned in his greatest hour of need, his faith found its confidence or its rest in the holiness of God. Christ knew God was holy and good and could do no wrong, so he chose to bear the agony in quiet submission. And 1 Peter 2.23 states that. It's, a, it's an awesome verse. This was intentional submission to a good and trustworthy heavenly Father. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow! Can we say that? Man! Are we able to willingly quiet our hearts and submit, accepting from the hand of the Lord what he has given us, even if it seems impossible to bear? Okay, so then first one. I'll try to repeat these. By faith, they chose to submit. Okay, number two. By faith, they became doers. 
right? Men and women of action. Now, they, whoever's running the sound can put this on the backboard here, this, these verses, because I'm going to read them. The reason I have two Bibles up here is because I'm actually, my Bible is NKJV, but the scripture up there is going to be out of the NASB. So I just want to make sure I'm reading the same thing you're seeing. And yes, I do have to use these. It's getting bad. Okay, let's start. Joshua chapter 1. Okay, point number 2. By faith they became doers, men and women of action. Okay? Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. Sorry, Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So number six, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people... Possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Seven, again, he says, be strong and courageous. Then in nine, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Taking those off. Putting that away. Okay. Okay, so this is, uh, this is Moses, right? Moses is legendary. The legendary Moses, right? Those are some pretty big shoes to fill. The great lawgiver, the great man of faith, followed by action, right? He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk, okay? Deuteronomy 34 says, There has never been another prophet in all of Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now Joshua, Moses' assistant, which is what some scripture says, which cracks me up. Have you, Do you ever feel like an assistant sometimes? When you're up against something that you're just like, this is so far beyond me. I feel like an assistant sometimes. Probably what I'm doing up here, I kind of feel like an assistant. But anyway, so Joshua, Moses' assistant, is told by the Lord, Joshua, you are now responsible for leading the Israelites into the promised land and accomplishing all that I have promised. And I do think it's very important that we see in Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy chapter 4, it does state that Moses had laid his hands on Joshua and appointed him in front of the nation, appointed Joshua as the leader, and he was full of the spirit of wisdom. So it was a done deal. God was in this. Moses was in this. The people knew it. That's important for us to know as we continue here. But I think Joshua would need every ounce of wisdom, right? He's leading a a nation, a ragtag nation of over 2 million scared people, by the way, into a land they knew virtually nothing about with fortified cities and walls and trained armies. And God's like... So this is Joshua's newly appointed position. And I, I, I don't know, unless Joshua was Superman, i just sure he had a little anxiety over it, sliding into Moses' shoes. I know I would. Okay? So, and there are times that God will ask us to do things, to bring things, to do things that are so far beyond us. Okay? Things that stretch us out of our comfort zone. Things that require much more, like that I said, much more than what we're bringing to the table. But who made our mouth? Who made our ears? Who is our wisdom? Christ, right? Christ in us. Now, there are a few things I do find interesting in this text. This is just side stuff. It's probably not the stuff you normally hear taught in this text. 
but I do find it interesting. God did not tell Joshua to take it slow and cautious and to labor in prayer over every detail. He didn't say that. He doesn't stay, stop at every intersection in this plan and ask the advice of others so that you may discern whether this is God's plan for you. He didn't say take a vote on it. He didn't say any of these things. He had already told Joshua what he had wanted him to do. God had already clearly set in Joshua's heart what to do and he wanted him to do it. Sometimes all that is really left to do in a situation is for us to be courageous and act in faith. I have to tell myself that all the time. God often gives us the pep talk, right, that he gave Joshua. He gave Joshua a pep talk. He's like, I got this. I've got this. Be strong. Be courageous. And act. Which Joshua did, by the way. Ten, verses 10 and 11 is him instantly preparing the nation of Israel to go in within three days. So when it comes to a walk of faith, sometimes thinking through all the ramifications and whether something is wise or safe or makes financial sense, etc., 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 it can really be more of a hindrance to us than a help. It often will only compound our fears, making us more timid and cowardly. Not saying don't be wise. Don't, don't say that I'm saying that. There's wisdom in understanding what Scripture says and prepare. But sometimes we, we can think through things so much that we get scared to do them and then we don't do them. It's kind of like cliff jumping. As you're looking down at the water from 40 feet, the more you look at your demise, the harder it is to jump. You just need to jump sometimes when you know that the Lord's in this. Okay, in the Bible, much or even most of what God asked His servants to do in faith would not have been considered wise or safe, right? Some of it's just down... Oh, hi, Stephanie. Some of it's downright crazy, okay? Not wise or safe. If you want a safe God, then it's not the God of this book. He's a good God, and He can be trusted, and He is absolutely good, but He's not safe. You know, I love that, uh, the movie Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. You remember that part? They're talking about Aslan. I think it's Lucy, the little one. She says, well, is he safe? And the beavers go, <laughs> safe? No, darling. He's not safe, but he's good, and he can be trusted. And remember that. Remember that the next time we're going through deep waters, he can be trusted, and he's good. He's good. All right, so... I have found in my own life that many times it is not that I don't know what the will of God is for my life. It's really just that I'm struggling with doing it. Have you ever been there? We know so often what the will of God is. We're just really wrestling with doing it. At least I am. You know, maybe I'm just weird that way. All right, so now number three. So what do we have? Do we have two? So number one, by faith they chose to submit. Number two, by faith they became doers, men and women of action. Number three, by fa- how are we doing? Oh, yeah, I'm good. All right, by faith they lived their lives for God's will and glory. By faith they lived their lives for God's will and glory. They had an eternal perspective desiring only to make much of Him. Okay, the good times when you get that great job that you wanted and the cash is flowing in and you just got the house that you put it down and all for on. Are we are we making much of him in that or are we sailing smooth? But then all of a sudden you lose that job and you lose the house. We're still making much of him, right? Or you just got the phone call that you have cancer and you've got four months to live. Are we making much of him? Death is the ultimate act of worship. You know that how we die. I just wrote it down here. Death is the final act of worship, making much of him in it. That's what they did. That's what these people did. And John 3.30, John the Baptist says, who was quite popular at the time, 
He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Matthew 16, 25 and 26, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's interesting that because we hear all the time, take up his cross and follow him, take up his cross and follow him. But there's something that comes before that. What does it say? Before take up your cross. Anybody? Huh? Die to self. Deny. There has to, in order for you to truly, the way that Christ is talking about discipleship, in order for us to truly take up the cross the way that he's talking about here, there has to be a dying to you. There has to be. John's shaking his head. He knows it. He's lived it. This call to follow Christ contained radical implications for those who would follow him. He was not asking them to just tack him on to their already busy lives. He wasn't wanting them to tack him on to what they were already doing. Okay? Their plans, their agendas. That's what's happening many times today. He was saying, no, your plans and your desires are now mine. They're being swallowed up in me. Okay? As the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the call to follow Christ was a call to abandon oneself and all of the attachments of this world that he lives in. And Luke 14, 26 and 27 would address that. We're not going to read it, but... I wrote it down so you have access to it. Bonhoeffer went on to say, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the kind of discipleship we're talking about in the Gospels. Only when we have let go of our own lives, our own rights, our own ambitions, our own expectations, our own security, can we truly live courageously for God in the face of danger and suffering. And I've lived it in a tribal setting when we were threatened. I wasn't courageous because Mark's bringing so much toughness to the table. I was courageous because I had let go of my security. Okay? There has to be a letting go of who you are for who He is. And in that, a confident trust in the character and goodness of your God. So when we were being told, you are probably going to die tonight, we slept like baby. Not because anything we were bringing, but everything we had let go of. For the cause of Christ and the goodness of our God. Revelation 20, or sorry, Revelation 12:11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Philippians 1, 20 and 21, I love this. Paul says, I hope that in nothing I will be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paul realized his true citizenship was in heaven, right? He lived and died only to glorify and to bring him maximum glory through the preaching of the cross, which, by the way, is not done yet. There are many people groups like the Korowai who wanted to kill us, but didn't, thankfully. There are many people groups like that who have never even heard of the cross. That's why Kathy and I are going. They haven't even heard of the cross. But anyway, Paul's entire life was an expression of his priorities. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Gandhi, I'm going to quote Gandhi now. Boy, I'm just quoting all kind of... Now I'm going to quote Gandhi. Gandhi said, Actions express priorities. It's a pretty good quote. Actions express priority. I love the example of Christ. Always we've got to come back to Him because, yeah, He is the superhero. And that's the truth. Okay? I love this. Jesus' entire life was a flawless example of living for the will and glory of His Father. 
I'll give you a couple verses and then we'll move on. In John 8, 28, I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak only these things that my Father has taught me. Also in John 4, 3, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And of course, Hebrews 12, 2, For the joy that was set before me, that was doing the will and purposes and bringing His Father maximum glory through obedience to the cross. That was the joy that was set before Him. Alright, so point number four. You got all three? I don't need to repeat it again or do I? Sure? Okay. I'll repeat it one more time. All right, point number... Whoa, whoa, I'm I'm back here. Point number one, by faith they chose to submit. Point number two, by faith they became doers, men and women of action. Number three, by faith they lived their lives for God's will and glory. And number four, by faith they chose worship and thanksgiving. (laughs) By faith they chose worship and thanksgiving. When I think of this, my mind goes right to Job, right? Whose mind couldn't go to Job? I am quite sure no one can relate to the depths of misery. We all have our misery, don't we? We all have the things that are miserable that we're going through. The depths of misery, frustration, and abandonment. I'm sure Job was frustrated and he, I absolutely am convinced he felt abandoned by God. How could you not? And we may be there. Some of us might be there now. But this is what he did. Job 120. This is, this is, this is a, you can't do this apart from God. Job 1.20 Job arose, he tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground, and worshipped. That's what he did. Literally, all of that had just happened to him. God, I'm, Mark, you got cancer, you're going to die in five days. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's insane. Thank you, Lord. Let me live, let me live in that five days to glorify you. That's, that's the attitude he had. Okay? David is another great example of one who chose worship in the midst of ongoing hardship. Psalms 34, 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be on my mouth. And my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then Pastor Bill, of course, teaching two weeks ago from Psalm 71, 20 to 24. Most people believe this was David. It could have been somebody else, but regardless, the psalmist says this. Right after, he says in verse 20, you have shown me great and severe trouble. This is mind-boggling. Right after he says all that, then he goes on in verses 21 to 24 of Psalm 71. He goes on to say, but I will praise you with the lute. I will, or sorry, I will, or but with the lute, I will praise you. I will sing with the harp. My lips shall greatly rejoice. My tongue shall talk of your righteousness all day long. Right after he said, you have severely hurt me. And then Habakkuk, this is mind-boggling. Habakkuk three seventeen through 19. Even though the fig tree have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vine. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as the deer. He enables me to tread upon the heights. This kind of worship is intentional, it's purposeful, it is a choice. We choose to worship in suffering. We choose to worship, we choose to think rightly. 2 Corinthians 10.5, where we are talking about where we are to take every thought captive 
to the obedience of Christ. Job did not trust without reservation and bow down and worship because he understood what was happening to him, but in spite of what was happening to him. He didn't need to understand, wrap his little mind around it in order to be okay with it. I have to remind myself of this. I like what John Piper wrote. He said, Worship is the term we use to cover all the acts of the heart and mind and the body that intentionally expresses the infinite worth of God. Intentionality. Alright, so let's close. How are we doing? Okay, we're doing alright. We started with courage flowing from a heart of trust and we will end with this as well. So many men and women who have come before us have realized that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the conviction that there is something more important than that fear. And I'm sure you've heard that quote many times by many people. But this is something that the men and women coming before us realize. And I would say the glory and enjoyment of our Creator and the exalting of Him to His rightful place. There is great joy in worshiping Him and placing Him on the throne where He belongs. When we feed our minds this truth, then our fears will starve to death. Tozer, again, a man full of wisdom and insight, he said, faith is simply the bringing of our minds into accord with the truth. God is trustworthy. He didn't say that, but I'm saying that. And I would also add, so faith is simply the bringing of our minds into accord with the truth, but I also want to add, and the adjusting of our expectations to that truth with complete assurance that God, the God of the universe, is good, He cannot lie, and He can be trusted. So if we panic and we run away, we shortchange God from... We, we short-circuit uh, short God's opportunity to do what man cannot do. Okay? Only God can do what man cannot do. So we need to be courageous. We need to believe in Him. We need to trust Him. God is not in the business of doing ordinary things, Right? Rather, he is known for doing distinct things, for doing extraordinary things. When man does something, it has the Mark or Kathy, Catherine, sorry, Mark or Catherine feel to it. It has a Jasonness about it, right? It has a Shaneness, which is good. It's exciting. There's cool things about the Shaneness and the Jasonness. But I have yet to find a man who can make a star or who can speak a planet into being, right? When we do something, it drips with humanity. When he does something, it's what we, we, we're speechless. Isaiah 40, 25 through 27. We'll close, we'll close with this last verse. Isaiah 40, 25 through 27a. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. He created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of His great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. And then He says this, which this is for us. So let's listen. So, O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? This is also a message to us. So, O Keith, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? God is sufficient. He is sufficient. He is not distant. And He is concerned about the smallest details of our lives. So we need to be courageous. Don't grow faint-hearted. Don't grow weary in thinking rightly about this. Because that's our tendency when we're in the thick of it, is to not believe it. Don't go down that road. Trusting Him and resting in His capable hands is what we need to do. Because His hands are beyond capable. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are mind-boggling. You are a God that we cannot even wrap our minds around. And yet we doubt you, we curse you, we get angry at you, we question you. We say, what in the world are you doing? Lord, I pray that we would have hearts to trust. Hearts to trust in good times, which it's easy. But that we would have hearts to trust in deep, hard, rough waters. Give us the ability to think rightly through the reading and the, and the, the studying of your word transform our thinking so that we, like Job, can instantly go to worship. Life is hard, but you are worthy. You are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.